0: This is Dr. Holly Lucille's Mindful Medicine. Here's Dr. Holly Lucille.
1: Hi, folks. Thanks so much for being with us and spending part of your day. Dr. Holly Lucille here, Mindful Medicine, just hoping to give you some information to help you open up your mind, make great choices for you and your family. Listen, if you've got kids out there, girls especially, I am a mom of three girls. Okay, they have four legs, but they're my girls. There's Lainey and Sammy and Sydney. All right. But today we're going to be talking about, um, how to help girls move beyond impossible standards. I could not, I'm not kidding you. I could not imagine, uh, having a daughter, uh, in today's world. I just couldn't. I mean, let's just talk about this today. I think girls are, they're what busting glass ceilings. Uh, they're selfie taking world changers coming of age in an era of historical promise. Seriously. I mean, unbound by the limits that their moms didn't face and completely unrecognizable by their grandmothers. There's so much opportunity. Um, and with opportunity has come, of course, more of a drive to drive for more, more miles on the treadmill, more hours in the library. Of course, the ultimate more likes on social media. But what the New York best-selling author and co-founder of the national nonprofit girls leadership and Smith college leadership development specialist, Rachel Simmons points out in her new book, Enough as she is, how to help girls move beyond impossible standards of success to live healthy, happy, fulfilling lives uh it, it does it, it, it's not that more does not add up to a life that is happy or well. so I want to talk more about this book and bring Rachel on the show, but before that, I just want to say what Sheryl Sandberg now she is the um author of Lean In read that book as well as this one, both very fascinating and amazing. She said. Rachel Simmons' important new book, Enough As She Is, will be for parents, educators, and adolescent girls. It's a guide that will help girls move beyond impossible standards of success to live healthy, happy, and fulfilling lives. And I think it's such an important uh, resource. So, Rachel, thanks so much for being here, and thanks so much for all the work you've done. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be with you. Yeah. I mean... The, the introduction was like, I just, I, I kind of I was like, I, it's so true. I can't, I really honestly could not imagine being a mother of an adolescent or a teenage girl in this world. I think I would honestly pull my hair out with anxiety and stress.
0: It's not easy. I, I'm actually the mom of a daughter myself and I'm already shaking in my shoes. I just saw her here. She's only about to be six. And uh, I thought, oh, God, what am I in for? And I think it's a mixed bag because it's thrilling to be the mom of a girl. I know my daughter can do anything that she sets her mind to, and the doors are open to her. And yet at the same time, as an educator of girls and young women, I notice that they are trying to be everything to everyone. They're trying not only to do all these new things that we're giving them access to, but they're still holding on because our culture is telling them to, to the need to have these kind of old-school um, things like the bikini body and being liked by everyone, and that mm. is costing them. It is making them anxious and depressed, and they are not getting any sleep.
1: No, I, yes, I. You know, I. Uh, one of my best friends, a colleague of mine, and a, she's she was a supervising physician when I was going through school, and uh, we become really good friends over the past eighteen twenty years. And she, her her daughter is fifteen, and our conversations are basically usurped by what her how her daughter is developing the. The multitude of influences there are in society and in school, and it's unbelievable. So, in your book, enough as she is, uh, the introduction, you refer to your change of heart from your past work, and uh, that that was a book called The Curse of the Good Girl. Um, can you explain how your point of view has changed?
0: Totally. Um, I used to really believe that it was. Girl's responsibility to kind of stop being nice to everyone all the time. Not that they shouldn't be nice, but that they should listen to themselves and not please everyone. And that if they could break some of those good girl tendencies, that they could be confident and strong and that they should try to shed some of those um, qualities so that, and that then they could reach their potential. But then I started working with all these girls who would be so high achieving and yet beleaguered by the sense that they were not good enough and I started to realize you know it's not the girl's responsibility to change this there's something broken in our culture that's telling our girls and all our kids I think to be honest that they've always got to be more than they are that nothing is ever enough and so I've realized that it's not girls responsibility to fix this but we've got as the grown-ups to change the culture to make it healthier for our kids
1: Wow, it's a lot of responsibility, but I think that you're right. I mean, you know, I, I, I think about it. Um, I, I, it just, it's just, it's just, I shake my, I'm shaking my head. I wish you could hear it. I know this is radio and people can't see me, but really what I'm really doing is just shaking my head right now because, you know, I think about some of these situations that I hear about girls being. Anybody in particular girls being involved in. And I think to myself, their brains are still developing. They're, 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 they're still in this period where their brains are still developing. And I feel like it's such intense responsibility. And I look back and I wonder how I did it. Um, even because I just I, I think that you're right, it's it kind of takes a village and the parents, I think the the adults, uh, we need to kind of wake up to all of this. So what 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 did you discover in your interviews that surprised you? while while preparing for this book?
0: Well, I think, you know, one of the things that I discovered was, um overthinking is a huge issue in teenage girls. And I, so overthinking is, is when you go around and you're around in a head, in your head about something that's bugging you. Usually, it's about the cause of a problem you're having or the result of a problem you're having, and you kind of can't stop thinking obsessively about it. Now, we know women do this, but I had no idea that teenage girls do it too, and so they'll start thinking to themselves, you know, why didn't that person text me back or did I sound stupid today in class? And what I found in the research is that this kind of behavior is really linked to anxiety and depression and even to Mm. binge eating. And that it peaks in young adulthood. So it's not only that girls are doing it, but that girls are doing it more than any of us. And so Mm. at this time, I've never, I've never met a girl who knew what overthinking even was. So one of the, Mm. the whole chapter in the book devoted to this topic because we've got to really talk to girls about what it is and teach them alternatives. So that was a big surprise for me.
1: Wow. That, I mean, it, it makes so much sense. And of course, in your book, you do include strategies uh, for not only helping girls stop overthinking, um, having self-compassion, uh, certainly navigating new rules of the stress culture, which is so important. Um, the whole idea of cast, uh, catastrophizing um, and how to help parents manage their own anxiety with the whole thing.
0: Exactly. And, you know, catastrophizing is if you have a girl, you know what this is. This is really about girls' ability to imagine the absolute worst outcome for anything that they're coping with. So you say to them, you know, tell me about what happened today at school when my life is over because this person, you know, I said the wrong thing to this person or I'm never going to go to college because I didn't do well on a chemistry quiz. And so catastrophizing is something that a lot of girls do in order to kind of hang out with their friends, because it's like definitely a bonding activity. Um, I often joke that I've never seen a group of boys hanging out after a test saying things like, oh my God, I totally failed and I'm not going to college. Like It, it feels <laughs> right. like a pretty girl thing to do. Um, right. But catastrophize like that, you're not really thinking about both how you feel and what's genuinely possible in that moment, right? Because you're, you're taking your feelings to this crazy, exaggerated place, and you're imagining outcomes that aren't actually very realistic. And so you're kind of like skewing the situation for yourself. And it's very hard to motivate to change when you say to yourself things like, oh, well, my
1: life's over.
0: So I really strongly encourage parents to work with their daughters on that and, and to try to stop, you know, turning it into this joke thing that they do with their friends.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, and, and, and to be involved and to ha- have those conversations with your kids, um, and to really just the awareness that this stuff is going on in our mo- modern day culture. You know, speaking of our culture, I do think that it's a very interesting paradox almost that we, we live in a world where I think the messaging is, Hey, everything is figure outable. You can do anything. I mean, you can start your own business. You don't even have to go to college. You can, there is so much that. And to do. Uh, and I, I think the culture does tell girls that they can achieve. I mean, anything, they can be great wives, they can have kids, they can have a huge career. So how has that messaging become such a burden uh, for girls to think that they need to succeed at everything?
0: That's a great question, and I think it's a couple things. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with telling girls to succeed, but I think we also have to let go of some of the old-school expectations that we've had of girls up until now, So, because what what psychologists call what girls are going through um, is role overload. There's just too many roles. For these girls to play. So they're trying to be scholars and they're trying to be athletes, but then they're also being told that they have to have a conventionally skinny body and that their faces have to look a certain way. And so that's just too much for one person to do. And that's why adolescent girls get the lowest sleep of, uh, amount of sleep of any group of youth. And so it's, it's, it's really not that we're telling them to um, succeed. It's that we're telling them to do too many things. Um, The other thing is that I do think the way that we socialize girls plays such an important role. So, you know, we do raise girls to worry about what other people think of them and to be the good girl who is kind and who takes care of people. And so for a lot of girls, that translates into a message that tells them, well, I've got to be perfect at everything in order to please people. So. Part of what I'm saying is that the way we raise girls is now kind of c- creating tension with some of the new opportunities we're giving girls.
1: Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, like I said, I feel like it's such a paradox, but this is such great information for folks because um, it, I, it, without it and without being able to take heed and uh, slow down and get into the um, the subtleties of the messaging that you can be anything you're you going to end up just being a ball of stress and anxiety that leads to so many other tragedies in life.
0: That's right. And so it's so critical for parents to, especially moms, I think, you know, I think our our daughters are really looking at us as moms, um, trying to understand, you know, how should I balance all of my obligations? How should I react when something doesn't go my way? And it's not to say that this is now mom's complete responsibility, but I know that as a mom myself, for example, I try to show my daughter that I like to have downtime because Mm -hmm. I'm a single mom, which means I'm trying to clean my house and be the breadwinner (laughs) and cook the dinner and be the great mom. And so oftentimes I feel like, I don't know if you remember the Looney Tunes cartoon, the Tasmanian devil who whirls around. You know, like a crazy, crazy creature, right? Like you can't even see him because he's going so fast. So I feel like that as a as a single working mom who, or mom who works outside the house in the sense that like my daughter could potentially just see me whirling around, picking up the dog toys, you know, unloading the dishwasher, um, whatever it is, doing a million things, taking the trash out while trying to hang out with my daughter. And so I think it's critical for parents to sit, to have their children see them sit and not the always doing, but also to value being. And I think a lot of us just don't do that.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think those those relationships, those same-sex uh, relationships, those parents, uh, the mom to the girls, is they're so important. And kids are so impressionable, and they pick up on things, whether they know it or not. And that modeling, I'm sure, plays a huge role in um, – uh, understanding what a normal, let's say, you know, balanced, downtime, calm, successful, yes, but healthy life, um, looks like. And so on that, uh, you know, I often think about, uh, when I, I, I see some news headlines or some of the, the, the perpetrators with the, the shootings and, these young kids and I I do, I, one of my immediate thoughts goes to, um, I I wonder how they grew up. I I start wondering less about the child and more about their parents. Um, and so what role can a parent's like self-criticism and own insecurity play in their, in their daughter's self-esteem?
0: Um, well, that's a really important question. And I, I would start off by saying that, I think we as parents need to do a bit more self-reflection on our own challenges and our own strengths before we look at, at our kids. Because I think so much of parenting life is about, you know, how do I get my kid to do X or not do Y? Um, And I don't think enough of us spend time just thinking about our own relationship to X and Y. So, modeling and and what we are teaching our kids to do is important. Now, I think it's harder when you're the parent of a teenager because when we have teenagers, we often think that they've stopped paying attention to us. We think that because they're rolling their eyes at us and want nothing to do with us at times, that means that they don't care anymore or that they've, quote-unquote, separated. Um, And, in fact, I really disagree. I think teenagers as they roll their eyes, as they make those heavy sighing noises when you embarrass them by even breathing, they are still connecting with you. They're just doing it in a way that's not quite as fun as when they were eight or nine years old. They're still there. And so the first thing to remember is that your kids are still watching you. When you do um, things that cause you to make mistakes, maybe you've lost your keys, maybe you've burned dinner, you know, so many of us reflexively respond to that by saying, oh, I'm such an idiot. I can't, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I just did that. I'm such a terrible cook or, you know, I'm so disorganized. When we call ourselves names, we are really telling our kids that this is an appropriate way to respond when you're stressed out, that the best way to make good on a mistake is to beat yourself up. And I think that that is so problematic um, for our kids. Why can't we make mistakes and also treat ourselves with the same kindness that we would treat a close friend? And this is something I coach parents a lot about, which is self-compassion. You know, I say to them, listen, if, if a close friend of yours lost their keys, what would you say to them? Now you say that to yourself in front of your child.
1: Yeah, that's such great... That's such solid advice, Rachel. That's just great. And you know, it, it, I think it, it, I think for anything, right. For kids, for daughters, for sons, for people in general. Um, and certainly for ourselves, I think sometimes I think about my marriage and, um, I've been married for, I think almost 12 years and, uh, the way that sometimes we speak to each other and it kind of goes, um, it, it goes where, you know, we have a great marriage and, and it's, we got it down, but I, I remember in the beginning, that's not the way it was, it was much more thoughtful, it was much more um, purposeful, it was much more kind at times, it was much less impatient at times. And I, I think about that sometimes. And, you know, lucky for me, I guess, right now, I have three daughters that have four legs, and um, they probably don't pick up or they might pick up some of it. Um, but I think that's such great information in general. I mean, that's just solid advice about how we treat ourselves and how we treat um uh the folks around us but and uh, to your point the girls the the kids are watching yeah
0: yeah they really are and um i don't think you know i think again to parenting adolescents can feel very thankless like you, you say things to them and you just have no idea what they're taking in and what they're not you have no idea um sort of what's going to stick and and how they feel about it but that doesn't mean we stop this is just what is is fundamentally challenging about parenting adolescents
1: yeah. And I think, you know, I, I, I would believe that in order to, I mean, it, what is it? The um, no, integrity versus despair. That's, that's when you're older, but it's that, it's that Eriksonian stage of they're starting to emancipate. And in order to not get your feelings hurt as a parent or to take it personally, you have to have your own sense of self. You have to have your own sense of self esteem to allow that uh, development of your child to happen successfully and health healthfully. Yep, Absolutely. So you created a program called failing well at Smith college that was recently profiled by the New York times. I love this. So how explain to the listeners though, how does failing, failing well fit into girls becoming more confident? Well, I
0: think it's a huge, huge skill to have, to be able to manage a setback to be able to make a mistake or, um, somehow let a person down in some way and not trade away your self-worth and your wellness in the process. That That's really what it means to fail well. It is to have skills that allow you to be resilient or strong enough to weather what's happening so that you can be motivated to learn. I mean, here's the thing about people who don't fail well. They don't bounce back. They are not able to recover such that they can pursue um, what it is they want to accomplish in a different way and potentially actually succeed. So failing well involves a set of skills that relate to how you think about failure, what you do in the moment of failing, and also how you talk to yourself afterwards. And this was an initiative at Smith College where I work that involved teaching our students all of those different skills, kind of like a recipe of ingredients. So, we taught them how to manage overthinking. We taught them the practice of self-compassion. We taught them to break down big goals into small bites so that you could take incremental risks. We taught them the importance of repetition and practice when you try something new so that you don't expect in a black or white way to succeed or fail in one time. Um, and all of these things together help create a mindset or a mentality that allows students to fail in a healthy way and to see and to be able to leverage it for learning instead of seeing it as you know a failure of the self, a failure of their self worth.
1: Yeah, it's such an important message. And, you know, sometimes we think of failure as such a connotated negative word. But, you know, I think it was Samuel Beckett that said, ever tried, ever failed, no matter. Try again, fail again, and fail better. Um, I know that there's a quote from Truman Capote that says, failure is the condiment that gives success, gives success as its flavor. And then once again, you know, I was I was talking to a bunch of students, the Naturopathic Medical Student Association. And I think I remember this was a couple of years ago, but most of my talk was about failing And, um, you know, failures are a part of life. If you don't, if you don't fail, you don't learn. And if you don't learn, you'll never grow and change. And so it's the way to do that positively and, and, uh, in the right framing. So that's just great. That's a a super take home from your book. So what else from your, uh, what else do you hope readers will take away from your book?
0: Um, well, I think that it's so critical for us to think carefully about what success genuinely means to us. Um, you know, instead of, kind of following wholesale what the culture has told us success should look like, it's crucial to spend time just thinking about, like, what does it mean to you to have a good life? Um, If you're a parent listening to this, you know, what is it that you imagine for your child? Like, when you became a parent and you started your family, you know, what did you want them to understand a good and successful life meant? Um, And I think the more that parents can form their own values around this, it becomes so much easier to actually cultivate um, a healthy um, kind of family uh, at home because you then can create a shield between what's coming at, the, at, the, at your kids from the culture and, um, and what your kids are, are internalizing. So I think that's absolutely so important. I also think it's important to help your children find purpose instead of passion. And that means making sure that your kids are not just pursuing things because of what it's gonna do for them or where it's gonna get them in life, but because it means something something to them internally, intrinsically, and because it's going to help them be part of something bigger than they are. Um, when you when your kids are just like, I want to make money and I want to get a good job and that's all I care about, me, 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 research tells us they're more likely to be unhappy. They're more likely to um, be less resilient and that when kids are engaged in meaningful activities that they genuinely care about, that they tend to do
1: better. Wow. It's such important information. There you have it, folks. Listen, this is Rachel Simmons. She's the New York Times bestselling author. Her new book is out, Enough As She Is, How to Help Girls Move Beyond Impossible Standards of Success to Live Healthy, Happy, and Fulfilling Lives. You do so much work in this area. Um, You've written a couple books. I know, folks, you might have seen Rachel on Oprah, and you can find out more about Rachel at rachelsimmons.com. I'm going to spell it for you. It's R-A-C-H-E-L- S-I-M-M-O-N-S dot com. Um, gosh, thanks so much. This is, I mean, it starts young, right? we It starts young. We got it, it,
0: really, it. I it can t- say that as a mom <laughs> of a year old. It definitely starts young. It's never too early to start talking to your daughter about, about why she matters beyond her external accomplishments.
1: Yeah. And having that confidence and being able to just have that self-confidence, you know, the world can whip around you and still have that sort of anchor that you learned early on such important work. Um, enough as she is everybody that if you have a daughter, you got to go get this book, Rachel, thank you so much for all the work that you do. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, mindful listeners. Thank you again for sharing part of your day with us. And remember, uh, enough, as she is to the messaging to your daughters and to those young girls out there. Um, they're watching, they're listening. So we got to pay attention and open our, our minds uh, and think about what we're doing. All right. Until next time.